This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This week, we are thrilled to host former MMA champ and current training director of popular training resource Jim Jones, Rob McDonald. As if being on the 2005 2006 season of The Ultimate Fighter wasn't noteworthy enough, Maximus, as he's known in some circles, jumped headfirst into his passion of strength and conditioning by forging his way with Jim Jones founder Mark Twite. Rob knows firsthand that when it comes to developing a culture that supports your brand, you trust your instincts and make no apologies. The crew discusses just how important it is to embody the spirit and ethos of a product regardless of what it is. The agreement is unanimous. It's not possible to learn everything there is to know about a training philosophy in just one weekend. This leads us to our next question, what's it like to attend a Jim Jones seminar? When you're a successful business operator like Rob, you have no inhibitions about turning people away that don't work hard enough. This is the luxury he maintains and is also the reason he guarantees that in his gym at a given time, someone is working harder than you are. Other points of discussion in this episode include why superfood is marketing bullshit, why Rob's kid has more tests than your average adult male, and what drives Rob to train day in and day out. Finally, Professor Booty provides the science to support his recent rebuttal to the dad bod wave, giving the ultimate GFY to proponents of this very unhealthy trend. Could there be a more effective form of shit-talking than solid scientific research? I think not. Episode 107 is coming straight at ya. What's up, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. Today we have John, Luke, Callie, and Steve. And our guest for the show is Rob McDonald, a.k.a. Maximus, a.k.a. Badass, from Jim Jones. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, what's happening? What's up? Rob, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to hop on the podcast and talk some shop with us. No, thank you for having me. Um, I thought we got a chance to talk a little bit yesterday. Uh, maybe we can just kind of start up the show with uh, a little history about yourself. Um, I know just from when I kind of like discovered Jim Jones and I, you know, started watching the website back in like 07, um, they used to have some videos on there, some of the old school black and white videos. And I remember you from The Ultimate Fighter too. And it seemed you weren't in those videos, but, uh, you know, somewhere I want to say around 07, maybe early 08, you started showing up uh, on the on the website. And, you know, maybe we can just kind of talk about, like, your background and then how you uh, found uh, Mark and Lisa and just kind of, you know, we can just kind of start from there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, I apologize about my voice. I've come down with a bit of a cold. But, um 
terms of how you know I met I met the people from Jim Jones. I was living in Toronto and I'd fought in the Ultimate Fighting Championship in 2005 and 2006. I was training for a World Championship fight in another organization called Ring of Fire in 2007. And Jim Jones was working on a movie in Toronto called Repo Men. It starred Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker. Sure. They were training Jude Law for that. And I had a friend that was a producer on the movie. And uh, my friend had said, you've got to meet these people. And I said, you know, frankly, I'm not interested in meeting a bunch of Hollywood trainers. And she's like, no, you'll like them. They're really, really good. So after a lot of convincing, I, I went down and met them. And, you know, they were um, really quite amazing people. Uh, very like-minded philosophy and, uh, you know, just really good folks. So started training with Lisa there, uh, trained for a few months uh, leading up to that fight I had, which I won. And because of the educational background I have, and I was a police officer for a number of years and have done a bunch of other things, they hired me to come down and be general manager of the gym. And so you would have seen me start really appearing on the site in 2007 and early 2008 was when I taught my first seminar. Now, uh, I'm trying to remember, when you were brought on board, were they still at the old facility or had you moved into the new one? <laughs> no, we were still at the older facility. Um, and we moved into the new facility about four or five months after I got there. If you, uh, I remember reading a lot of the articles, um, and you can see a lot of the the pictures of uh, kind of the old school, the old gym, uh, like beat up walls. Uh, just you know, we talk a lot about on the show, like how mental, like toughness is fortified in like like a a garage gym environment compared yep. to this more of a, a, a glamorous kind of area. Um, I I kind of get the feeling like the whole mind is primary thing that is a part of like the Jim Jones uh, philosophy that a lot of that was forged in that, uh, that older gym. You know, that's kind of a chicken and egg thing. I think the gym was actually more a construct of what people believed here. So when you when you talk about the mind as primary, one of the things we believe is that when you go to train, you have to uh, train your mind to recognize a place of work, and the gym should be a place of work. So purposefully, in the old gym and the new one, there are no mirrors, there's no air conditioning, there's no televisions, it's not comfortable. The original gym was built with that in mind. And the new gym is actually very similar to the old gym. It's just triple the square footage. But the same things shine through. And uh, you have like the same crew around you, right? And uh, the seminars, are the majority of the seminars that you guys teach, are they, are they at the gym or are you kind of going out on the road and going to uh, kind of like traveling the world and and uh, you know, teaching these concepts. Yeah, we really have a mix. Uh, we teach military seminars to various tier one military assets. We don't publicize it a lot, but that's part of the program. And then the other seminars are a mix. Uh, they're open to the public, and there's a mix of seminars in our facility, but also at other people's facilities. And so we've done some seminars in Australia, 
England, New York, St. Louis, California. We've really opened up the traveling aspect of that. And there's like, uh, man, what do you have? Like four or five different like stages. Uh, if like if my goal was to become a fully certified Jim Jones coach, um, it wouldn't just be, you know, like a, a one uh, attending one seminar. You're you're going through a progression. Could you? Could you talk a little bit about um, the like the philosophy behind that and why you uh, required that to uh, become like a fully certified instructor? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, when it comes to you know being a fully certified instructor, character and morals are probably the thing we hold in the highest esteem. If I show up to your gym for a weekend. All you can really certify is that I showed up and passed a test. You know nothing about me as a person, as a man, and how I treat other people. So we made a lengthy seminar process. We've got a part one seminar, which is two days, a part two seminars, which is two days, an advanced seminar, which is a week. And then we have a month-long internship that we put people through. And this has all been built to ensure that these people are high-character people. The reality is they're going to learn. If we have you for three seminars, we're going to teach you everything you need to know. Um, but it's also going to give me a chance to figure out what kind of character you have. And the biggest thing that I am proud of when it comes to Jim Jones, we've got 26 fully certified instructors now. If you go to any one of them, you'll get a Jim Jones experience. And you'll be treated well as a person. And that's really important to us. That's uh... – Great concept. Um, yeah, Rob, uh, this is this is Luke with uh, Power Athlete. That's one of the things that that we that people have a hard time grasping because we have a a traveling seminar as well. And in order to become up to to get up to speed, just to give a two day seminar and maybe let's round it to sixteen hours of content, um, you need to put in about three four hundred hours to be able to run that thing on your own. And like you said, building building the ethos, building that character to not only deliver the message, but but to embody all the information and, and how it's supposed to be projected out. And, and it's funny because we, we'll walk away from a seminar and somebody says, oh, I, I want to be on your squad. What do I have to do? And it's like, well, you got to go to about three or four more seminars. Then you got to move out here. You got to train with us for at least 60, 90 days. And then uh, we'll start the process, you know? So it's like, it's a relatively high barrier of entry when you're really trying to protect that the integrity of, of the brand and the body and the personality of the content. Well, I mean, even more than that, I know when um, you guys came on and we kind of vetted you guys into the seminar and more importantly, the training system, there was just like questions and answers. I mean, over the course of what, five years that I've taught what hundreds of these things, mm -hmm. every time somebody hits me with a different question and just the ability to have that kind of wide base to be able to answer anything and build mm -hmm. upon it was really the hardest thing that I found with kind of educating people. And, um, you know, the thing which is most frustrating for us is that people come with such a low knowledge of training and, you know, like just using standard methodology and not really thinking outside the box in terms of how to, how to work with people with special populations. Like, you know, you can't just paint everybody with a broad brush. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the thing that was most frustrating for me is I'm like, you know, how do you guys not know this? I'm not, I didn't create this strength conditioning thing, uh, you know, just, you know, basic physiology. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a big part of our stuff is just being able to educate people. And when we first started teaching it, it was way too advanced. And over the last couple of years, it's just kind of downgraded to where it's more manageable instead of you're drinking from a fire hose. And I'm sure you guys are 
much in the same way. I mean, I, um, uh, you know, I, I travel to Salt Lake City to go see my doctor. Uh, I see a guy, Dr. Bueller, up in Kaysville. And every time I'm always there, I've, I've always uh, been meaning to kind of swing by and see you because I know Mark is good friends with Rob Wolf. Yep. And so, yeah, and Rob's always like, man, you should swing by and see those guys. And <laughs> just never have. I always kind of fly in and fly out. Have you ever heard of Dr. Bueller? Yeah, Craig Bueller. Doesn't he yeah. do um, muscle activation techniques and, yeah. and ART and uh, yeah. prolotherapy and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he does all. Uh, he's kind of the creator of the Amit stuff, which is the activated muscle integration technique. And so, yeah, I've been seeing him for years. And uh, you know, at my lowest point in terms of like you know physical performance after you know basically killing my body for a decade in the NFL. Um, I went and saw Dr. Bueller when I like thought like my whole world was ending, and I walked out of there three days later, feeling like I could have run through the you know the car that was running by or was driving by. So I go see him every couple of months, and uh, um, it's uh, yeah, I mean it's so to me Salt Lake City is a pretty good place. I always have a lot of fun whenever I go there because it's I was always like I get to go and actually feel better. <laughs> well, no, if you're ever here, stay for a couple extra days. You're more than welcome in the gym. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I've always dug what you guys did. I mean, uh, I kind of remembered. Uh, when I first was introduced to CrossFit, uh, one of my uh, good friends and a guy I used to do a bunch of training with, a guy named Andy Stumpf, uh, had, you know, is a former Navy SEAL, had done some work and worked, I guess, with, uh, with Mark a little bit. So he had recommended it, and I just ended up checking you guys out and always kind of really liked the, you know, really the ethos that you guys have created. And I use that term just because it's, it's, um, it's so unique. It's like you guys, almost, you know, you crafted the image from what you wanted and projected from every way, everything from the videos to the website, you know, to your training and, you know, have gone around and done some super cool things that kind of puts you guys in different positions. I mean, I've, uh, you know, worked with a lot of tier one uh, individuals and uh, they, they always speak very highly of what you guys put out. So it's, it's um, it, definitely you guys are, are doing it better and dude, your website looks dope. Every time I've ever looked at your website, I've always been very, very impressed. So that's always good for us. Well, thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. And that, that ethos. I mean, that's something we we try harder than anything to protect because without that, the whole thing falls apart. And I, you know, I'm sure you guys have found that. But uh, you know, what you were talking about, if I want to be part of your crew, having to spend 60 to 90 days there and, and go through a bunch of education, um, it speaks a lot about your brand as well and and, and what you guys do. And and a lot of times, somebody goes to a seminar, they get certified in two days. Uh, you can end up with a lot of shitty gyms, frankly, in that kind of scenario. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, when you try to, you know, do this kind of mass deal and you have people like you obviously, you know, uh, got on pretty early. And I always appreciate when people give me a little backstory about how they got to this. You're like, oh, I was a, not only am I a professional fighter, but I was a cop. And you kind of go through all this, you know, like start kind of almost building a resume of how you got to where you are. And more importantly, like I just wasn't like a mortgage broker who did, you know, Mark Twight's mortgage. And uh, he decided to bring me over as a gym manager. And then I got into fitness that way. So it's always interesting when I, when I talk with people about, you know, what's your journey to this point? How did you, you know, how did you find me? Uh, more importantly, you know, what work did you do before this? I mean, everybody that, that uh, works for me on my seminar staff now actually ended up finding us through the website and following the training. And then contacting us after having done the training for a long period of time. And then we brought them into a pretty extensive vetting process. But I really can't think of anybody that didn't find us somewhat organically. I mean, Callie, great example. And, uh, 
pretty amazing to see the transformation in people and see them grow and, and progress and then be able to kind of give them in, bring them in and show them all the backstory and more importantly like hey this is why we do what we do and and this is more importantly how how it affects and how it applies to kind of you know universal type stuff so it's uh and then you know and then you have to go out and use it and you have to be able to stand up in front of a group of people and convince them that you're the baddest motherfucker on the planet and you're the smartest person uh, on the planet. And that's pretty much the goal when these guys go out and teach a seminar. I go out. I'm like, if anybody leaves here and doesn't think that you guys are the sharpest fucking people on the planet, you failed. And um, I'm sure you guys do exactly the same thing that everybody leaves there being like, God damn, I had aspirations of working with these guys and now I just want to like be around them. And I think that's kind of the, the goal, at least I see from your guys' stuff, all the pictures and the content. So I have not been to one of your seminars, but I'd definitely like to swing by and see you guys at some point. No, I'd, we'd, we'd love to have you. That's our goal. I mean, I tell everybody that my goal for them is when they leave the seminar to tell people it's the best seminar they've ever been to, whether it's exercise, mortgage stuff, medical. I want people to have the best experience possible and learn as much as I can. Can you uh, take us through your seminar a little bit? Like, just kind of like, um, you know, give me the big bullet points, like the macro, the 10,000 foot view. Yeah, we, uh, part one is fairly basic and fairly introductory. We cover our philosophy, which I think is the most important part of the seminar. The reality with training is, you know, for us, you can have an exercise physiology degree and you can have all the information in the world, but how you implement that stuff is more important than anything else. So we spend a lot of time on philosophy, and that's where the mind is primary, is really hammered home. We cover uh, some very basic nutrition. We cover recovery practices. I think a lot of people you know, are willing to do the hard work, but how many people are having ice baths every day on a foam roller, going to see Dr. Craig Bueller, doing all the things that you need to do to keep your machine running well and efficiently, and then we cover programming. And mixed in that are four you know, fairly difficult workouts. Once we're done that, we go into part two, which is 100% programming and hard workouts. And then the advanced, we cover advanced programming and uh, what I call some advanced nutrition. Do you find um, that there's a lot of misconceptions from just, you're, you're probably going to see it more like at the introductory uh, level seminar where people kind of assume uh, that like the programming at Jim Jones is uh, just like volume, 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 you know, and, and kind of misunderstand it. Because, and the reason I asked that is because I remember the old website, uh, the, the black and white, and, you, you know, you would put out a, 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 a template, and some of the feedback that I would read would be people asking things like, well, are you supposed to do all of of the content you're putting up there or am I looking at am I supposed to pick and choose you know and then this coupled with like the not seeing the full picture of what you're trying to put out there maybe they just think like you know it's it's trained seven you know seven days straight no rest and recovery just this volume volume bar volume and being like hammered into the ground so I'm Rob I'm gonna give you a little context on that because within our seminar uh, we also put our programming out on the website, but it's it's a variation of it. And when we it's get to show. the programming aspect of it, it answers a lot of questions that we tip. You know, we put out a free version. Follow it. Do what you're going to do. Uh, if you're going to ask pretty complicated questions, we're just going to point you to the seminar. So I think just uh, maybe giving some of the people who are following the programming, trying to pick it apart, maybe bridge the gap between what they see on the site and what they'll learn in the seminar. 
Yeah, the, the reality of what's on the site is we generally don't believe in prescriptive training because we believe all training needs to be individualized. So what you see posted on the site for us is a record of what was done here by certain people. So on any given day, on a Monday, you look on the site, I could have done a workout. Preston could have done a workout, which was one of our guys here. Stu Bradley, one of our guys here, could have done a workout. And it's just a record of what was done to give people ideas of what they could do at home. And even though we say it a bunch of times on the website that this is not a prescription, it's just a record of what happened here, people don't read and they don't pay attention. They try to, Dude, they try to people just don't read anything. No. And then they think that everything I do, I post. I don't post a lot of the stuff I do, uh, you know, and and people have a hard time following a program. Or what's worse is they look at the person that trains for a living that doesn't have another job other than training, and they assume they can just assimilate their program, but they have a 60 or 70-hour-a-week job. They've got three kids. They've got a wife. There's no way they can train 10 or 12 times a week. Well, the, the other one we get to is, um, you know, and where you are in your training journey. That was like the biggest uh, kind of stumbling block I ran into when I first kind of, you know, because uh, I kind of, you know, and you definitely know this as a professional athlete, you're kind of an elitist in a lot of ways in that I trained at professional athlete facilities with other pro athletes. My friends are pro athletes and pro football players. And, you know, uh, the training we did was unique to us and it was usually supervised by some professional and uh, when I got out and kind of got into this kind of whole functional fitness CrossFit uh, community, people started asking me about my training. And when I would tell them about, hey, this is what I do, they were like, well, you know, is that stuff I should do? And I was like, no, um, you, you know, where are you in your training journey? Like, this isn't what I did after 20 years of training. Like, this is what I did in my first couple of years. And there was a progression. And I was just kind of amazed that people thought like, hey, I can just jump into the most advanced stuff. I'm like, dude, I my job, I got paid exorbitant amount of money to do nothing but lift weights and train and prepare for this job. Why all of a sudden do you think after, you know, deciding that you want to get some barbells and put them in your garage in two years of training at age 30, do you think that 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 would be something that would be even uh, pertinent or, or even, you know, practical for you to, to work for? And, uh, you know, I think what was different about our program a little bit is... Uh, we went the opposite route. We said, what can we strip away that anyone could do. Well, yeah, I mean, so yeah, it was basically, you know, finding, you know, being able to kind of categorize people into different levels of adaptation and, you know, exposure to like, hey, are you a beginner? And to me, 95% of the people that are lifting weights today are somewhat beginners uh, because when people say to me, hey, no, I've been training for a long time. I'm like, great, what does your training look like? Well, you know, this, I'm like, okay, you know, give me some 1RMs or give me some max attempts on a lift. Well, it's about, no, dude, if you're telling me about, I can tell you exactly what uh, my best lifts and everything I've ever done from, you know, body weight, weighted chin-ups to 1RM chin-ups to squat to deadlift, all these things. Tell me exactly what you do. Yeah, the year, the, yeah. the temperature, the yeah. humidity. Dude, I can tell you the year I benched 525, and I can tell you the year I squatted, you know, 700, and I can tell you all of these days. And if you can't tell me those things, I mean, it's so, uh, you know, that's another thing that I, I was always curious about you guys is – you know, uh, when somebody comes to you that's obviously very young in their journey uh, in terms of training and their exposure level and you bring people in, how do you guys necessarily... Uh, yeah, what's the decision matrix? Yeah. Without, I guess without giving away the honey because that's probably why you want people to go to the seminar, but 
but like what's what's the thought process in constructing or providing the starting point in a person's training life cycle? You know, the biggest thing we do is we put people through some type of assessment. I'm not a big fan of an hour-long assessment because you can't tell much about a person in an hour. You put somebody through some type of functional movement screen, tells you a little bit about their balance, maybe their mobility, but it doesn't tell you how hard they're going to work. It doesn't tell you work capacity over a week or over two weeks, and I think those are really important things. So when people come to us, they're generally under some type of an assessment for a month. It's usually 10 sessions, and we put them through various workouts. We test their strength, test their power endurance, test their power, and then based on what their results are from that and what their goals are in their sport, along with a bunch of other things like history of injury, um, wear and tear on the body, things like that, we will usually come up with a custom program for them. And the hardest thing to get through people's heads is that almost everybody can benefit by going back to the basics. I can totally agree with that. Um, I kind of like, I switched gyms recently and uh, I, I've increased a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, a lot of, um, you know, some athletes, some people preparing for like, you know, uh, for example, like a firefighter challenge um, and then just like the general um, like CrossFitter and what's interesting is that they all want to get stronger and a lot of like the every program I'm writing is individual because they're they all have different limiting factors but it's like one thing I've learned from uh, the, you know talking to people on this show and uh, just hanging around uh, picking the brains of the power athlete coaches is that uh, you got to go back to the basics, you know, like the bread and butter. Um, there, a lot of the programs that like I'm doing with these clients is like stuff I had done 10, 12 years ago to kind of build that base that seems to be missing from their training or just like you know their journey. And that's like come full circle in a way. Dude, it's like what Ronnie Coleman said. Everybody wants to be strong, but nobody wants to lift heavy weights. Give me the pill. Yeah, I Give mean me it's pill. yeah it's uh dude just the. Uh, you know, and, and uh, Bobby, you said something pretty cool where you were talking about, like, building capacity and, like, uh, almost being able to test somebody. And, you know, and earlier you talked about, like, the mental aspect. I mean, how much at the core of the Jim Jones philosophy is the ability to suffer? I mean, that's kind of what I, I, I've got from it because, you know, there are workouts that I definitely have stolen from you guys, like the uh, <laughs> the 300 calories on the Aerodyne. Inspired. Is, oh, no, no, dude, that one has been a, a marker for me. <laughs> The, uh, the the 300 max calories in, uh, what is it, like 10 minutes, I think you guys do it? Yep, that's correct. And then the problem is, is now we have these new assault bikes. Yep. And so we've been, I, I don't know, do you guys have the do you guys have the new assault bikes? No, guys, we actually use the uh, Stairmaster AirFit. Ah, okay. Why, what's, why, why is that? Just a little more affordable? No, it's actually more expensive. Oh. My, my uh, complaint about the Air Assault bike is the way the pedals and gears are weighted, it's really hard to just spin on one. So for yes. endurance-type training or get a, get a high amount of RPMs, it's too hard to just spin. I Where, see. So it's not super transferable to, to actual cycle, like cycling. So, so like there's no... Uh... I guess you could say, like, every, I, I definitely say that thing is much more lactic, like, lytic than it is kind of aerobic. 
Yes, exactly. It's a lot more about, I'd say, leg strength and muscular endurance in the legs than it is what I'd call just true cardiovascular output. And so we've chosen to use the AirFits. But you have used the assault bike. For that reason. But I have used the assault bike, yes. All right. That's the question. So what I need from you right now is I need some markers for this fucking thing because we (laughs) have been fucking like uh, they sent me four of them. And we have been, uh, we have a, a deal where it's uh, max calories. We do like a lactic acid threshold test, which is 30 seconds all out, followed by a two-minute rest. And you do that for five sets for max calories. And then we also do another one, which is like uh, 300 calories max time. And so I, I always, uh, as I we started playing with these things more and I started looking them up, you guys are the only ones that really put out any really solid matrix on calories and kind of how it related. So I was always like, man, I wish I could just send those guys in the salt bike to test out for me. So at least I'd have other people out there using them. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't played a ton on them. Like they gave us one and we used it. I'd say 310 on a, on an Airdyne that's model AD four is about the same as 200 on a, on an air assault in 10 minutes. But a lot of the airdynes have different measures of calories too. If you look yes. at the AD4 yeah. versus the plastic AD6, yeah, AD6 is almost impossible to get 300 calories in in 10 Dude, minutes. Dude, that's the one we used to have, and we tried to do the 300 calories, and it was more like 17 minutes for 300 calories, and you almost right. fall off, and like as you're like falling off, the thing almost fucking impales you. <laughs> well, yeah, it's terrible. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The uh, yeah the assault bikes are uh, yeah we've been playing with them left and right and like we can uh, definitely do some torture stuff with them. But I think it all goes back to like what I was just kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. Like at the core of that Jim Jones thing with that kind of that that ability to suffer. I mean, it's big on on the website. I mean, salvation through suffering. It's uh, like is that really the mindset like for you guys? I mean, is that really like when you talk about getting to know somebody, that ability to kind of go to that dark place and can you kind of suffer when everything's bad around you? Yeah, the the biggest thing with that, I think suffering can be a harsh word at times, but we just want people that are willing to work hard. I've worked with NFL athletes that work really hard that add to the spirit of the gym, and I've worked with guys that I've had to throw out because they don't work that hard. I've worked with soccer moms that work out like work harder than anybody on the planet, and I've worked with soccer moms that are lazy and once again need to be kicked out of the gym. The biggest thing for us with suffering and the will to work hard is it builds a positive environment. We only have 35 to 40 people that train in our gym on a regular basis. Um, but, but John and, and, and Luke and Dennis, if you guys come into the gym, you're going to be there with somebody who is willing to work as hard as you're willing to work, who's willing to make sacrifices, who's willing to do anything to accomplish your goals, and who's talk is consistent with their actions when you're in that type of environment it's impossible not to improve now so that's what you become who you surround yourself with yes sounds like what my mom told me be the person you want to be around you know rob what yeah. now when you talk about the 30 people training in the gym at any time what are what um what are most of them motivated by what's i guess you know when we when we talk to an athlete we we always lead in with what are you training for uh you know what's what is the end goal and and then we try to in, integrate that into motivating those people. I mean, are, is it a variety of just kind of gen pop specialized athletes? I mean, what, what's your what's your pop, population density look like? Uh, we've got anywhere between five and ten people that would do what I'd call high level athletics, whether they're professional athletes or um, high level amateur athletes. And we've got some military people. I'd say five to ten. And then everybody else is just general fitness training for life. 
and just training to be better all around that have real day jobs, real things going on um, that just want to be more fit. And then uh, what the, what, so those are just the motivated in individuals. Now, if an individual comes in and just doesn't have that intrinsic motivation, and this is something we, they get to go. I mean, do you, do you guys give them the boot or do, is it just one of those things that the self-weeding garden, it kind of takes care of itself? <laughs> you know, I'm one of those people. I wasn't athletic as a kid. Um, I didn't make really any sports teams. When I tried wrestling in grade 10, I lost every single match. And it was only in my life because a few people gave me a chance and worked with me that I was able to accomplish anything. So I'm willing to work with anybody one-on-one to give them a chance. And and I've always been pleasantly surprised what you can bring out in a person if you care and what a person is capable of. And based on how that goes, if they work hard and they get it, then they're essentially not in isolation anymore and they're invited to train with the other groups and the other people. And if they don't get it, then we have a talk about maybe this isn't the place for them. The funny thing is, is oftentimes I don't even have to have the talk. They know they don't belong and they kind of self-select out anyway because they just they, they, they want to be part of something and they know they don't have the parts, so to speak, so they just leave. Yeah. Sounds great. Actually, uh, you know, this, um, it's, you know, the, uh, I always wanted to own a gym. I just, uh, didn't want a lot of members. Uh, what, what I found is that, uh, you know, be, you know, and, and everybody on this podcast can attribute to this. I mean, you know, you go and you want to train and you want to be around other people that are into it, that are highly motivated that like, you know, an uh, analogy I give is, I don't know if you remember, saw the movie, the dead poet society, but when they asked about the Dead Poets Society, they, they were people that sucked the marrow out of life. And I wanted people that came to train that literally wanted to suck the marrow out of the training and, like, wanted everything. And just, like, dude, let's just have a singular goal of becoming better at everything we're doing. And then you get into a, into a, a, a larger kind of more public-type gym where you're accepting everybody. And uh, that slowly just fucking mm-hmm. goes and then a little piece of you dies. And then next thing you know, you sell your gym and you open a little gym like we have now, which is basically our office with weights in the back that it's invitation only. And people are like, Oh, how do I join? We're like, there's no memberships. Yep. You know? And like, to me, it's, there'll it's, be a gold ticket in the next, yeah. in the next case of beer. You open yeah. Or, or you have to stand outside for three days with no encouragement, food or water, you know, type deal. And, uh, uh, it seems like, uh, uh, kind of getting back to that, having owned a, a, a large, you know, um, gym and then kind of getting back to what we're doing now. It's actually, to me, it's, it's a lot more pure. I mean, it's, it's, it's what it always should have been. The problem is, is that you know, you're talking about a set of values that don't universally apply across everybody. Mm-hmm. Because we, we used to run into people that are like, I just don't care that much, and I don't want to work that hard. And I'm like, well, then why the fuck are you here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and uh, that kills me. And, and, and that it, it attitude can be contagious to others. Oh, so. well, it's it's because I mean, you know, it's like, dude, it's like a uh, you know, a drop of blood poisons the water. I mean, you know, and it's we fought that and fought that and fought that. I mean, we also happen to live in the one of the most superficial, uh, self-absorbed places on the planet in Orange County. So that probably wasn't help. Whereas you get a place like Salt Lake City where it's a little more like it's cold, it's a little more gritty, you know? Well, sometimes I think that's true. But the I think the biggest thing that comes down to is being true to your values, especially in the gym setting, isn't conducive with making money. I mean, if you, if you want to know how to make money as a gym, you've got to sell hundreds and hundreds of memberships and hope nobody shows up. 
<laughs> well, that's the, I mean, that's the commercial gym model. It's like uh, 24 hour fitness has what, like, you know, a million members and like less than like 3% of them showed or show up. And if, if 50% showed, they would have to shut their doors because they're, they would be over capacity. Well, think about, think about also your standard CrossFit gym to have a, you know, to have a CrossFit gym be successful. How many members do you need? A hundred, 150, 200. The yeah. minute you're letting that many people through the door, quality of people has to go down well and they, you know we we were I don't, were we talking this on a podcast or maybe just over in the office or something but uh it's after helping john run the commercial gym you cut you like you know there there's got to be a magic number for square footage yep. versus number of classes versus hours you personally work in the class setting versus personal yep. setting uh to keep it pure, you know, pure and unadulterated in like. No, it, it was a spreadsheet that uh, that I put together and kind of forwarded with a couple people that was like the optimal amount of, if you were an owner, operator, optimal amount of return, size, space, and we figured it was like somewhere around like 70 or 80 clients in around a 2,500 square foot building and you could teach X amount of classes and you could have the right type of people around and make the same amount you know, mm -hmm. for the gym, but when you all of a sudden bumped it up to like 120, 150, 200, you had to hire infrastructure, you had to do this, and there was like a, you know, all of a sudden the turnover was like exponential, whereas you might lose one person a month over a course of a year, you know, 12 people in a, you know, which would be, you know, pretty small in terms of like a 70 or 80 person, when all of a sudden you got up to like 120, 150, all of a sudden you're having like a 20 or 30 percent turnover, so the turnover was exponential, and it didn't justify more people, so it was, uh, it's pretty fascinating. Like all these people are like, oh, I want to have 800 people at your gym. And I'm like, oh my God. Just yeah. And then the, the tipping point for it to be, like you said, uh, Rob, like for it to be profitable and lucrative, like well, you, and, you and truly have to have a passion for well, it. Well, that, and also, uh, you know, you always have to think about like your emotional and mental state as, as like wealth. Like people always like, uh, mm. you know, I always say there's a, a clip on, on YouTube I saw that was like an interview where they asked Bob Marley if he was rich and he's like, uh, I'm not rich in the sense that you guys think I'm rich in family. And, you know, you think about like all of a sudden if you have to abandon your fitness and your training to all of a sudden give it to mm. all these other people because you have 200 people a day that are just fucking driving you crazy, then all of a sudden and then your health slides down. Now you're not as wealthy as you were. So, I mean, that was something we really kind of wrestled with is like, you know, at, at which point does – does me handholding this many people, uh, you know, start detracting from who I am? And it sounds like you're in a pretty good situation where it allows you to kind of do what you want and work with the type of people you want. Well, we are because the website funds everything. I mean, most of yeah. our money is made through website and seminars. But I always talk to people about this. If you've got a kid, you got to put food in that kid's mouth. You've got a wife to look after, or you got a husband to look after. And you've got to pay rent or mortgage and other things. Sometimes you've got to make decisions for your business that may not be in line with your philosophy. Yeah. And I wonder about what's the minimum amount of people you need in the gym to survive? Because if it comes to a choice between letting more people in or keeping the lights on, a lot of people will just let more people in the door. I mean, sure. that's yeah, sure. a gun to your head. You know, but I mean, and you got to think like if you bring somebody into a situation like I mean, the the, uh, the the model that you're creating, and more importantly, the style of training that you're advocating, isn't one. I mean, while we believe everybody needs it, not everybody. You can't convince people to work that hard. Like that was the hard thing. I'm like, you came to the gym and thought this stuff was going to be easy, like 
like, did you, you know, are you surprised that you're sore the next day or more importantly, like your knee might hurt you? Like that's, this stuff happens when you train. So, I mean, for me, that was kind of the harder part was being able to kind of, you know, especially coming out of my my previous experience, like trying to tell people, like, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think we were just going to come here and like hold hands and sing Kumbaya and eat cupcakes? (laughs) Like, dude, we're going to come here and you're going to bust your ass and you get to go home. And we talk about that before about like the Google generation and everybody wants instant results and and they don't want to put in the work and... And maybe Rob and those guys, you know, people see like 300 and, and they just want to be part of that. And then they get, you know, they get to the gym and they realize that it's not all like sugar coated and handed to you. And you got to put in some work and they kind of find out the, you know, what they're made of and the kind of person they are. Everything we're sold on in society. I mean, just watch TV. It's three easy payments of nine ninety nine. <laughs> This is the new magic thing that's going to make all the difference in your fitness. You could get this in six weeks, four-minute abs, two-minute shoulders. The one exercise that's going to change your life. People are brainwashed by this shit, frankly. And then yeah. on top of that, anyone that does do well, there's this really negative trend in society to blame it on good genetics, steroids, or <laughs> lucky. One of the three. And, I mean, I've heard it. My whole life from people I grew up with where people would say, wow, you're so lucky to be blessed with genetics. And I'm like, you grew up and knew my parents who, you know, my dad died when he was 20 or when I was 20 of a heart attack. And and my mom's not physically fit and doesn't train. I'm like, where do you think these genetics came from? Like this wasn't the fact that I worked hard or did something else. And then they go, well, you must be on steroids. And it just goes down the list because they can't fathom working that hard because everything they've ever been sold is that three easy payments of nine ninety nine bullshit. Well, it's yeah. like, dude, my, uh, my other favorite is uh, it seems like it runs in cycles, but about every six months, there's some new cleanse. Like, yeah. like hey, drink this. You know, you're going to do this cleanse. And, like, I get an email probably once a month about some new cleanse and, like, I'm like, dude, do you really think that, like, all of a sudden you're going to be able to negate all your basically lack of training, lack of sleep, lack of attention to your nutrition? <laughs> all of these key factors are somehow going to get mitigated, and you're going to turn it around with a three-week cleanse of doing, you know, nothing but aloe juice and kale smoothies. And I'm and like, cayenne pepper. And cayenne pepper. And, uh, you know, but that three weeks, I'm going to be so on point with this that it's going to negate all my deal. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's, uh, it's like a bank. Like, if you don't put money in every day, you're not going to have a balance. You're going to have a negative balance. And three weeks of drinking kale smoothies isn't going to create a balance for you. No, or the new superfood. For a while, it was goji berries, and that was acai that would turn you into some Brazilian warrior. And then that kind of went by the wayside. And then it was chia seed, and you needed that. And people just constantly – well, you know, the chia seed thing came because they had that, a guy put that Born to Run book out where those uh, those Mexican, uh, like, uh, uh, Indians were, like, running through the hills with, like, <laughs> the tire on their feet for, like, 200-mile races eating nothing but chia seeds. And everybody's like, oh, chia seeds are the superfood. That must be the reason. I'm like, no, the reason those guys are able to run 200 miles is because at age three they were running 10 miles and their dads were running 200 miles and they run that 200 miles, like, religiously and like they're you know they they lived in a genetic population where they probably are like 
you know, lung capacity twice that of a human. They live in the mountains. They run. I mean, from the time they are, they can walk, they're literally running these trails. Yeah. And then, but you think it's the chia seeds. Yeah, a two-decade gradation process to get that capacity. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. You know what's so, is that um, people work really fucking hard to not work hard. They'll do a cleanse. They'll do a four-minute ad. They'll try. They'll work so hard, and the time that they do all these gimmicky uh, advertising fitness things, they could have just gone to a gym like we all have, and actually made progress. Yes. And what's, what's crazier now too is I think that the, the superfoods and 9.99 payments are on the wayside. Now it's just accepting the Maybe dad bod. No, no. Accept well, you, the dad bod. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Now, that bot has become the norm where it's like, you know what, fuck it, the chia seeds didn't work, the cleanse didn't work, you know what, I'm just going to rock the death bot. It is what yeah. it is. Just give up and, and be mediocre. You know how nature deals with laziness? It kills it, right? And here we yeah. are. I know that sounds so selection. but you've never seen a fat leopard hunting down a gazelle because he's a piece of shit. So on that dad bod, I know we we talked a little before the show on it. What's uh, what what you got any any feedback on that concept? I had a really good laugh this morning reading it over. Um, I think it's I think it's we live in a t-ball society where everyone wants to get a hit and everybody wants to be rewarded for their shitty behavior, and it it doesn't work like that. Everyone wants to be accepted. Everyone wants to win first place, get a medal for everything. And it's just indicative of that where people who are too lazy to do some work, people that don't want to better themselves, they just want to be told that they're great or they're special or they are unique for being mediocre. And it doesn't surprise me that people just accept it. You know, I look at it from a, from a holistic point of view where you want to be good at your job. You want to be as I'm a dad. I want to be the best father I can be. Uh, uh, my fiance, I want to be the best fiance I can be to her and treat her as well as possible. But I also want to be as healthy as I can and look as good as I can and try to aspire to something in all areas of my life. And it shocks me that people have become so acceptance of mediocrity in various aspects of their life. So I'm, the the analogy I give is uh, so when somebody asked me once about like kind of mediocrity and I'm like mediocrity to me is like getting thrown in an icy cold river with a fur coat on. I'm like you're gonna drown slowly and it's gonna be real cold and real miserable and you're gonna see it happen in front of your eyes and it's like uh, you know no place uh, you know playing in the NFL like there's no place like mediocrity is it doesn't hide because you're one you're standing in front of millions of people like and you get to fucking know exactly how good or bad you are 70 times every Sunday in front of a bunch of fucking fat beer guzzling motherfuckers who sit on the couch and scream at you uh, as you want to throw popcorn at you as you're leaving the game I mean it's a harsh reality but uh it, it's amazing how like at which point you kind of just turn over a leaf and you're like you know what fuck it it's just me you know like that's this is who I am accept me and instead of being like, you know what, uh, I'm going to try to strive for something more, I'm just going to try to get everybody together and be like, well, you know what, this is all good because, you know what, this is a look. This is the dad bod. And so so it's, what, I, what, I, what I'd like to do is, I guess, actually, Steve, so Steve, real quick, let me let me get you get you going because Steve wrote a, what I thought was a fucking a, an yeah, awesome, awesome article on our site. And Rob, you know, I'll let him just kind of expound on it. And for our listeners, they can kind of hear the voice behind the words because I know – Sometimes you just get lost in the text and you assume, you know, you make your assumption on what that person and how that person's saying it. And so, Steve, if you don't mind, just go off and let these 
you know, just kind of give me a little more on nature, on the dad bot, on mediocrity. And Rob, to give you a little background, uh, Steve, let Rob know what you do, like what your credentials are, so he's he understands why you're talking about like dung beetles and fucking cheetahs and shit like that. Yeah, so I'm a I'm an evolutionary uh, neuroscientist who studies attractiveness in the brain, um, and know that from basically any species that you throw at me, how they mate. Um, and the, the dad bod thing, what really really irritates me and gets me fired up. And then recently there was one about the mom bod, which like Jesus, um, it what fires me up. I don't care about mediocrity so much. If you want to be mediocre, go ahead. My kid will kick your kid's ass, and I'll kick your ass. I don't give a shit if you want to be mediocre. But let's not make it acceptable for being mediocre for a number of reasons. One is for the health reasons that you guys talked about. It's not okay. It's not okay in terms of health and fitness and wellness. But um, the article, what really pissed me off was like the dad bod is the new hot bod. It's uh, less intimidating. Um, I, it just infuriated me because it goes against everything that the science of attractiveness suggests. And on the Facebook page, there was um, uh, some comments about, well, what about brains? Aren't brains? Yeah, brains are attractive, but guess what? You can't see somebody's brain from across the dance floor. So yeah, brains are great, but they're greater on a guy who looks like a fucking Spartan. So uh, and then dad bods, they like to have beer and pizza. Yeah, hey, guess what? So do power athletes. They like to cuddle. Um, the idea of it being attractive goes against everything in attractiveness research across every single species on the planet. There are physical characteristics that make certain individuals more attractive because they represent better genetics, better sperm, better protection, better resources that uh, uh, somehow – I almost feel like this girl – I forget her name now, this uh, little Clemson girl. Um, I feel like she almost put it out there either – She's got a uh, an ugly boyfriend that she wants to cheat on, or she just can't get anybody because she's like not attractive. I feel like she's giving an excuse for both men and women, saying it's okay for dudes to be unattractive and chubby when it's not. And I get it, like like you, Rob. Like, I get it all the time. Uh, being a college professor, uh, you know, students. Oh, do you take steroids? Yeah, oh yeah, I take steroids. Do I look like I fucking take steroids? No, I look like I go to the gym five times a week and I don't eat um, Taco Bell. Uh, other professors, when do you ever find the time to work out? Um, I make the time because I'm not home watching The Bachelor with my fat wife. Um, like, and it's not like I'm unproductive. I, 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 don't, I don't need to boast about my academic career, but I've been very productive. Um, both in the weight room and in the academic arena. So people can do it. It's pure laziness. And what really pissed me off was the science behind it. Listen, here's the, here's the critical litmus test of the dad bod, okay? Take, a, take 100 uh, reproductively viable uh, young women, ages 20 to 28. Place them in front of two pictures, one of a dad bod, one of a uh, whoever, uh, John Wellborn, right? Shirt off. Who are they going to take home for the night if 20, if they um, uh, if they're going for a one night stand, right? If they're going for pure reproductive, I mean, there's no question. Now, well, dude, I, I played in the NFL, so obviously I have, I have good genetics, and they know that I uh, have a little bit of money in my pocket, so they're probably <laughs> going to choose me just out of the hope to be a band. Uh, I mean, Weren't you voted like Mr. Philadelphia at one time as well? 
but here's the critical one of 50 best looking people in Philly, but that's a really shallow pool if you guys have ever been to Philadelphia. <laughs> I have, whoa, 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 that's my hometown. I know, that's why I said it. That's yeah. why you're 49. Yeah. Here, here's the other critical factor. In our society, in nature, nature rewards the, the body type that can acquire prey, avoid predation, uh, and otherwise it's just a reproductive powerhouse. In humans, having a good body is almost never purely genetic, right? Who do you know that is completely like ripped, shredded, jacked, whatever your fucking term is, with their shirt up, who doesn't do anything, right? I mean, that I with some guys like that. There, sure, there are a few, but they're rare. In the 7.5 billion people on the planet, it's a small percentage. So in addition to looking jacked, right, it also is an indicator that you're a hard worker. So why wouldn't that be attractive? I don't know. The whole dad bod thing has got me infuriated, and it's gotten me it, – since my post on the Power Athlete Facebook page, it's gotten me over two dozen emails or text messages, I, uh, many of which were hate mail. Um, some of which were pictures of women without their clothes on. So, whatever. I think I think a lot of it is just excuses for settling. Oh, it's excuses. You know what you're talking about? What the girl's motivation is, but people settle in life. It's what they do. They settle for a they settle for a partner. They settle for a job. Uh, they settle for something less in their lives, and they're really not okay with it. So they've got to make up some kind of excuse of why they're okay with it. Yeah, certainly. And, and what it is is it's part of a psychological process known as cognitive dissonance, right? Yep. I can't, I can't, re, I can't like uh, battle with my mind about the fact that this couldn't possibly be okay and attractive. So therefore, I'm going to come up with an excuse. I'm going to come up with a label, and it's going to go fucking viral because guess what? Everybody else has this cognitive dissonance psychological state as well because they're fat, overweight, out of shape. So hey, let's go ahead and say I'm going to release a hashtag called DiabetesBot, the new sexy thing. Let's go. Yeah, and it makes your behavior okay to alleviate that cognitive dissonance. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, Steve, do do you think that at uh, you know that maybe you know and like let's play the Kardashian role, like do you think that that maybe the dad bod thing was put out to like for her to generate uh, interest? I mean, it's become a super hot topic. I mean, maybe this was her chance at 15 minutes of fame, or do you think she's that smart? Or the fact that, like, she's like, you know what, this is pretty polarizing. People are going to freak out about this, and I'm probably going to generate a lot of media attention. Or it's just, like, she's uh, really uh, yeah, I'm really attracted to the guy who looks like he eats pizza and beer every night. Here's the deal. Why don't we get her on the podcast and ask her? I think that her, ah. her and her uh, sorority girl sat around one day, looked at pictures of their boyfriends, and were like, oh, yeah, they all have dad bods. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. But I bet they're all like and then, for, you know, and then Professor Platic. Here's the limit. Here's the litmus test, right? Um, how many people go to watch uh, uh, if we made uh, a sequel to Magic Mike, right, which is the big stripper show with a bunch of dad bod fucking strippers, how many people would go to that movie? I'm pretty sure they had a movie like that with like some English dudes. Yeah, but it was, was a comedy. The, the full Monty. It was okay, but that was more of a comedy. It wasn't all about naked dudes. Well, yeah, but, I mean, that was the comedy, so obviously there's your test. I mean, so you had the full Monty versus the Magic Mike. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, oh. Steve, that, I, I read an article uh, a while ago, and they talked about um, how, like, current society, current the current version of human beings um, is the result of only the strong survive, right? Like, if you go back through all of our the history of human beings – um, you know, thousands and thousands of years, like the weak were 
all died and like the stronger version uh you know procreated and like in a sense like we all have these genes of like Spartans and Hercules and if if those guys got in a time machine and saw what what their efforts became in the future and saw the current version of man they would they would be like immensely disappointed well, I mean, yeah. uh, Denny, Rob Wolf talked about it, and also Lalonde talked about it, where they went back and looked at, like, just blood works of our grandfathers. And oh, I think it was Doc Parsi was talking about it as well, uh, that, you know, just in terms of, like, testosterone counts and sex, bond, sex globulin binding hormone, you know, counts of, like, 10 and under when most people are in the 40s and 50s, uh, that our grandfathers had probably, you know, two to three times the level of free testosterone in the body. And I, and I know that for, you know, and I, it was Doc Parsley who talked about it, but uh, just offline, him being like, you know, the comparison that we have of blood work when they were doing these tests compared to what we have now, we're probably a third of what our grandfathers were. And that was just two generations. So, and, and, you know, and that's where we got into it. Like, what's the cause? Is it, you know, sedentary lifestyle? Is it this? I mean, did people, you know, uh, you know, 100 plus years ago have to get up and, you know, walk through miles to the store and chop wood and do all these things that we just kind of take for granted now? Or is it, you know, leaching plastic? Is it environmental? Is it the chemtrails in the sky? I mean, what are these factors? And when I, I, I kind of pin them down through them all, he goes, it's everything. We just live in a different time when, uh, you know, the way that we have evolved over a certain amount of years is no longer being stimulated the way that it was for the last, you know, X amount of generations. And so it's, uh, you know, if anything, it's kind of, it's good. I mean, you have things like the Jim Jones type stuff. I mean, I, I, I always would, and, uh, you know, Rob, you'd probably be able to give us a yes or no answer, but uh, does Jim Jones become as successful uh, as it is without the movie 300? I don't think it does. And a lot of that has to do with notoriety. We don't have a lot to do with that anymore. And we, you know, to a certain degree, don't advertise it uh, anymore. But with without it, I don't think we would have got the notoriety that we we got. And when you look at what Mark did with those guys, that was the first time in Hollywood that there were that many good physiques in one place. Yeah. That, that, is- actually, that actually really worked hard for it. You know, I think that was I think that was the first movie people sat in that said, "What the fuck just happened here?" Like, yeah. I want to know what these guys I want to know what these guys did. Well, the uh, you know, like uh, for me, I like I looked at those dudes, and you know, obviously it looked like uh, you know, one they had trained, two they had all done a similar training because their bodies were all similar, and it wasn't back and biceps. Uh, you know, it wasn't back and biceps fucking quads in a you know seven day split. So, uh, you know, the training looked universal. The other thing, too, is uh, look at what it fucking did for beards. <laughs> you know, I looked at the movie 300, and I was like, those guys are in good shape, man. We got to go to fucking go bust our ass at the gym. A bunch of other dudes were like, I got to grow a beard. I'm like, Fuck. It's easier. Yeah, it's, it's way easier to grow a beard than it is to fucking get that shape. But, no, I mean, I, I always think, like, just in terms of Jim Jones, CrossFit, the Synergy, Facebook, all these kind of medians all kind of happening right at the same time. And then all of a sudden the movie 300 hits, and uh, I just wonder, like, fuck, how many people actually sat down and was like, how did the guys in 300 get in such good shape into Google? I hear. I think you told me that. definitely. And, uh, you know, it was, I I remember um, it was the off season when that movie came out, and uh, uh, these two girls I know were like, hey, do you want to go see that movie? And I was like, yeah, sure. I knew nothing about it, and I sat there and was like, 
holy shit, this is, uh, you know, such a, a, a move from, like, that kind of standard kind of mindset of what you're used to seeing in the movies. Now, all of a sudden, here's, like, big, strong, athletic dudes just fucking beating ass. And, uh, well, that, that, and it was one of the first movies that had more than an individual representation of masculinity that was powerful. Most yeah. of them, you get Rambo, you get Rocky, whatever, like... And it's one or two dudes, and all the rest of the guys are like you said. They're in the fans watching with their beer guts. Here we had, you know, I mean, on both sides, you know, thousands of individual men who were in shape fighting and battling. I, I, if you don't mind, I just want to go back to the one point about testosterone and these environmental things. You know, we oftentimes forget, or perhaps we don't know, that the the most influential um, uh, uh, component of testosterone outside of our, our natural genetic biology, is the social situation. You can look across any primate species and see that the alpha male has more testosterone than the beta male, who has more testosterone than the, the slew of omega males. And I think one of the things that's happening in this sort of, you said this two-generational drop in testosterone, is we're not allowing our young boys to be masculine. Like, my young boy, he goes to a school, and they're, like, they, they're allowed to roughhouse a little bit, but they don't get in fights anymore. They don't punch each other. They don't compete. Nothing is a competition, and nothing can raise uh, testosterone more rapidly in the immediate moment than a one-on-one -on -one competition. If you and I line up for a 100-yard dash or a 100-meter race, the winner has yes. increase in testosterone. If you and I play internet chess in different continents, the winner has an increase in testosterone. So we're doing our children a disservice by this, uh, what, what Rob said earlier, which is give everybody a trophy. Because there is no competition. You have to lose and have that drop in testosterone and growth hormone and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, psychopharmacology that drives your brain to want to win, to want to compete. And without that, what these children are learning is this whole three payments of $9.99. That'll get me what I want. I don't have to compete. I don't have to work hard. I don't have to do shit but sit on the couch and watch people work out when I watch the CrossFit regionals this weekend. Well, Steve, know that my child is in safe hands. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so is mine. I tell my kid to beat up the neighbors every day my, with a black eye. Yeah, my little dude, his three favorite movies in order are Blade the Vampire Hunter 2, the original Conan the Barbarian, and third is Bloodsport. How old is he? He's six, Perfect. and he's been raised on a steady diet of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So absolutely. he's going to be – He's going to be okay. You're representing all of what people so, – so working at a university setting, which is quite liberal, I'm oftentimes accused of being um, a misogynist or anti-feminist. There are more yeah. feminist males on my campus than I've ever seen in my entire life, and it's a new movement, male feminism, which I'm all for. Like, hey, we do equal work, get equal pay. But I want our boys and our men to look like boys and men and have cuts and have bruises and not pick flowers and that sort of thing. So I agree. I um, my boy watches uh, the right now. It's like the Avengers cartoons, and he was the Hulk for uh, Halloween. He everything is about getting strong. I am rewarding the sexually differentiated stereotype of what a masculine male is. And I had two of my male faculties tell me I was doing my child a disservice the other day. And I told them, dude, if my kid beats your kid up and makes the NFL, talk to me then. Dude, I, I, uh, I'm I sitting here with a tear in my eye because I have twin daughters. So we have a steady diet of Doc McStuffins. And, uh, <laughs> uh, 
I'm right uh, there. Coloring um, outside on the outdoor patio with chalk, making chalk drawings. And, uh, I'm what right there with doing? you, buddy. Well, dude, I, uh, I I didn't tell you guys this, but uh, you, you guys obviously are at the same position. Like, seems like every weekend we have like seven birthday parties to go to, and uh, whenever I go to the birthday parties, I just love to observe the girls and the uh, and the boys. And like, I'll see over there, and the girls are over there, like sitting in a circle, all playing or doing something. And I look over, and like the like the boys are over there, just like punching each other as hard as they can in the face. They got like ropes tied around their neck, trying to throw each other off of the things. And, uh, like, the parents are always like, yeah, so I'm like, you know what, it warms my heart to see these kids socking themselves in the face, trying to mash cake in their mouth. And um, Kate was like, or my wife's like, we got in the car, she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, man, I want my own little, like, cake smasher, like, little moron. Like, just, yeah, just like, yeah, just seriously, just like, like, I just watch these two boys punching yourself in the face, and I watch my daughters over there, and I'm just like, oh, God, can you guys start punching each other? This is just unbelievable. So, I'm jealous. school the other day. My boy's name is Spencer. On the way home from school the other day, I look in the rearview mirror, and Spencer's punching himself in the head. Now, mind you, six months ago, he had a skull fracture and a high-grade concussion, right? So he's punching himself in the forehead. And I said to him, what is the matter with you? And he goes, Dad, how else am I going to get stronger? And I was like, continue on, son. Continue on. Hey, you guys, check this out. Come here, Landon. Hello, guys here. Tell these guys, their dad's friends from the gym, what you want to be when you grow up. Jacked. You hear that? Jacked. <laughs> what is it? Jacked. Oh. Jacked. Beautiful. I think that's the quote. That's the quote for the show. Yeah, he's, that's... He, he, loves, he loves C.T. Fletcher. He says the word motherfucker way too much. <laughs> he had me kissed one day. He said, we need to go and get some wood to build a giant eel. And I like a giant Conan wheel. Whoa! I was like, no. man, this is uh, sounds reason. Oh no, you're breaking it. Hey, Rob, are you there? We're we're losing you. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, oh sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. Oh, sorry. You left at it. It sounded like your son wanted to build a big Conan wheel in your backyard. He thinks that if we push a wheel around, we'll grow up to be jacked like Conan, and I can't really argue with him. No. Well, you, you know what? Here's my thing, Robin. You know a physiology uh, of, an, of an individual whose primary diet of training is pushing opposed from pulling. So whenever I looked at that, uh, at that big wheel in Conan, I thought at some point he would have had to drag that thing like a sled drag. So like yes, it just showed him pushing. I'm like, there's no way he would have got all those go muscles in the back without a little bit of dragging. And like, so like, just if I ever got to go remake that movie, he would push it, he would pull it. You'd see him like dragging it backwards, dragging it forwards, pushing it backwards. So I, I just wanted different, more planes of motion in terms of the pushing of the wheel. Yeah, lifting some more things, doing some more stuff. It's funny. So Rob, what is uh? I mean, you got a, you got a dad bod going on. Maybe not the the archetype painted in this this blasphemous blog, but. What is what's your training look like now? What's motivating you to keep on going and stay in the gym? And I know you said look good and be healthy, but uh, is there any more to it? You know, the biggest thing for me is I hate people that don't practice what they preach. And when you come to a seminar to learn from me, I want you to respect me. I want to be able to lift enough that you think I'm strong. I want to be able to do enough on a rower or an airdyne or an airfit or a skier for you to respect my conditioning. I really think people need to lead by example. And so I'm driven to train 
Um, so to, you know, to, to, I guess, improve the business, improve the brand and, and lead by example. Rob, uh, do you current, do you still hold the, like the skier record? Uh, don't you hold a record like a 2000 meter skier or maybe it's just a, a shorter distance? No, I, that, but. I did for, I did for a 500 and the guy beat me by 0.1 of a second, but that will be taken care of probably within the next few weeks. <laughs> nice. Rob, how, uh, how big are you? Uh, 6'3", 255. Okay. And, John, you used to play in Philly, right? Yeah, I played uh, five years in Philly, four in Kansas City, and then my 10th year in New England, and then I got hurt, and that was the end of it. So a decade was good. So completely off topic, do you know two good friends of mine, Stu Bradley and Kevin Curtis? Stu Bradley and Ken Curtis. How would I know them? Uh, Stu Bradley played linebacker for the Eagles, and Kevin Curtis uh, played wide receiver for them, and St. Louis and Kansas as well. Uh, I was there from 99 through 03, so, like, yeah, I'm old. Yeah, you, you left um, before they got there, but I just thought it, that was interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I was there. Where I played in three NFC Championship games, and then uh, I got traded to KC and then played there for another four years. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like uh, uh, it's funny. People always mention names, and I'm like, God damn it, the name sounds familiar, and I usually got to go look it up, and I can usually remember the face. But now when uh, like James Thrash was our receiver, and I'm trying to think of who the other guys we had. Uh, and then linebacker was like Mark Simino, uh, Jermaine Trotter. I mean, those guys. Yeah, yeah. What I always found interesting is how, like, maybe you can't put – uh, it seems like a lot of the um, the NFL, you know, the former NFL players, like, can't put names to faces. But you guys can remember, like, every single play, you know, uh, like, specific plays. Like, and I would assume that maybe uh, the ones Danny, that you, yeah, let me correct that. that. Uh, I can remember only the plays I fucked up. Yeah, that's right. You no, know, it, it's you, the status-looking thing. You know, when I look back on my NFL career, it was a failure. And it's because the plays I remember are the ones that I've made mistakes. And, like, somebody asked me, like, you remember that play? I'm like, no. And they were like, oh, it was a touchdown. I'm like, no, but I can tell you two plays before that when I gave up a sack or I, I, I missed my reach block or this. And they were like, so you only remember the ones you messed up? I'm like, yeah, they're the only memorable ones. They were like, yeah, isn't that after 10 like, years, yeah. you could probably name off every single one. What, who you played, who you played against. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, and I'll, the, the, the ones that stick out the most were the ones that had the most extreme weather. So, uh, like I played in the hottest game in NFL history and I played in one of the coldest and I just, I, I don't really remember the days that were like beautiful fall days. I remember like playing in green Bay in the playoffs on like Sunday night or, uh, playing new year's Eve in New York at a seven o'clock game when, uh, right before kickoff, it snowed on the Meadowlands, which was like painted concrete. So, I remember, uh, I, I remember a lot of just the games that had kind of extreme conditions or extreme weather or things like that. You know, like um, a lot of psychology behind that. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's um, for some reason, like you know, uh, like you know, and, and uh, people make a lot of deals, you know, especially about like, oh, well, it was the hits to the head, and I'm like, ah, you know what? I don't think so. I think people only remember. You know, like you only have so much, uh, you know, cognitive ability to recall things. And like, you know, if I were to, if somebody were to be like, hey, do you remember this? And they kind of explain it to me a little. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I think I remember that. The other thing is I remember all the funny sideline conversations I've had of sitting on the bench, listening to Kyle Turley or different people I played with say crazy shit uh, or seeing people's weird stuff. Like all that stuff sticks out and that actually gives me a lot of laughter.
just because guys have, you know, like, you know, as I'm sure Rob, like with fighters and different people, just have a lot of strange quirks, and they're usually some weird motherfuckers. And I so there's like some surveyed, weird things that I, I remember. I bet you if you surveyed professional athletes, they would only remember the fuck-ups too because nature rewards you remembering things where you fuck up so you avoid those situations in the, in the future. If you did oh. good, who cares? Yeah, well, I mean, you're, we're supposed to win. I mean, it's like uh, I always, you know, it's like the the reason why I never liked baseball was if you uh, if you hit the ball one third of a time, you go to the Hall of Fame. Well, guys, before we get down too many good war stories, we're at, we're at about that hour mark. Yeah. Uh, Rob, I just want to thank you for jumping on the show, man, and uh, and let where should our where should our listeners go? They want to learn more. They want to jump on the seminars. They want to follow. Um, Programming, what do, what do they do? How do they get you? Uh, www.jimjones.com, and then they can follow us on Twitter at, at Jim Jones, and they can follow me on Instagram at, at Bobby Maximus. There's a bunch of information at all uh, three locations, and uh, there's a lot to learn out there. We give a lot of stuff away for free, and we really try to educate people. So, those, those areas. And thank you guys very much uh, for having me on the show. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, and thanks, thanks for dropping that playlist, too. I think that we had a first with that playlist because we put all of our listeners' playlists on Spotify. So if you need a, if you need a list that has a good mix of some hip-hop, some rock, and some pop, uh, uh, Rob's put something together. But he has on his playlist your ringtone, Call Me Maybe. Oh, he does? Yeah, that's his pump-up jam. I like it. That's my daughter's uh, favorite song. So <laughs> my girls, uh, whenever they hear the phone ring, and it's a Call Me Maybe. So my daughter's named Jamie, so it's Call Me Jamie. But uh... – uh, dude, and uh, definitely when we're in Salt Lake City, I want to hit you up and take you up. I'd love to come see the gym and meet you in person and at least say hello. We'll uh, we'll have a workout, then we'll take you for the best burger you've ever had. Oh, uh, fucking I'm fucking in. Make a trip. We're going right now. We love burgers. Kelly, you're out. Uh, but okay, thanks a lot, guys, and uh, we'll, we'll sign it off there. Yeah, sounds good. Right. See you. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Bye. Bobby. Thank you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Want to learn more about Jim Jones? Visit their website at www.jimjones.com. Remember, that's G-Y-M-J-O-N-E-S.com or at Jim Jones on Twitter. Find Rob on Instagram at Bobby Maximus. Things are definitely getting busy for Power Athlete HQ. If you're fast, you might be able to catch us on the road in the next few weeks. We'll be at multiple CrossFit games, regionals, events, as well as on the road running the CrossFit football seminars as per usual. Uh, don't worry, because the next time we get together, we'll be in the company of a world-famous DJ. That's right, the world's most muscular DJ, self-proclaimed, of course, will be joining us on an upcoming episode of Power Athlete Radio. If you haven't had the pleasure of tuning in to this Icelandic sensation, please do yourself a favor and check him out on YouTube. All you have to do is just search uh, DJ Muscle Boy, and a few of his videos will come up, and they are ridiculous, outrageous, hilarious. This is a guy who doesn't take himself too seriously and is uh, pretty jacked uh, as well. That's what we have in store for you in the next couple weeks. Until next time, bye!